21 through to chapter 6, verse 9. Paul here is giving instructions to husbands, to wives, to children, to parents, and to employers and employees, which I guess encompasses pretty much everybody here this morning. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Saviour. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church, without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, Husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the Church. However, each one of you must also love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honour your father and mother, which is the first commandment, with a promise, so that it may go well with you, and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear, and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favour when their eye is on you, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly, as if you were serving the Lord, not people, because you know that the Lord will reward each one for whatever good they do, whether they are slave or free. And masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them, since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no favouritism with him. Um, just uh, before we look at this passage, it's, it's packed full of a lot of challenges, a lot of amazing truths, but let's just have a moment of quiet in our own hearts where we can just come before God, ask that he would speak to us and teach us. Just enjoy a moment of quiet before we begin.
Heavenly Father, as we gather together to hear your voice this morning, please would you teach us by your Spirit what it means to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Please excite us with your picture for how you call us to live in relationship with each other, that as a church, all the different relationships that we live out would be to the honour and praise of your name. Amen. Amen. Great. Well, good morning. Uh, great to see you here, particularly those who are, wel- who are visiting. Um, friends and family, you're very welcome. And it's, uh, it's great to have you here this morning. Uh, we're carrying on. This is number seven of eight sermons looking at Ephesians. We've got the last one next week where we're going to wrap things up. But I hope you've been finding it a helpful series. Um, just uh, as a sort of recap, do you remember um, we started with this a few weeks ago? Uh, as I took over from uh, Neil and was teaching the, the back end of Ephesians. And the real, the real charge to each of us was walk in unity as a church. Walk in unity because then we will grow in maturity. And then last week we looked at walking in purity. What does it mean to be a Christian who loves God and wants to live a life that is going to please him? And uh, I drew us to this verse in a different letter that reminds us that if we've put our trust in Christ, we're a completely new person. And therefore, the way that we act and the way that we live our lives should be different. Uh, but I don't know if you remember um, last week, I, I said that in chapters 4 and 5 of Ephesians, five times you get that command, live, live, live. And I kind of wanted to answer the skeptic who perhaps says, well, there you go again. It's just Christians trying to be good. You're all trying to be good and you're trying to do good things and just try hard. And I made the point, actually, you remember that 4 and 5 come after chapters 1 to 3. That was all about the gospel, all about the blessings that we have in Jesus Christ, all that he's done for us, all that he's won for us. And I made the point that the commands that we have in this letter, and you've seen tons of commands just in the passage that's been read. They're not commands that are just saying to you, try harder, be a good Christian. But they're commands that are in response to the gospel. Do you remember I made the point last week that these were commands that were from God and they're commands that are for our flourishing that makes a complete difference because when we look at these commands it's not just about blind obedience do this because god says so but more paul's trying to paint a picture of what the christian life looks like when lived out in response to the gospel chapters four five and six come after chapters one two and three and that's absolutely crucial when you come to this passage Uh, and what we're going to look at is um three pairs of commands do you remember before we look at them do you remember last week we unpacked these two phrases that are absolutely crucial to the christian life Um, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. And I try to explain that being, we mustn't suppress and resist the work of God's Spirit in our life as he seeks to transform us and make us more like Christ. And then the counter-command is, be filled with the Spirit. And I made the point, the Spirit of God is not a force or a power, so it's not about some sort of thing that leaves me and I need to be topped up. The Spirit of God is a person. So to be filled with the Spirit is to say, God, I want you to influence all of my life. I want you to be in control of all of my life. So not resisting the work of the Spirit in our lives, but allowing God's Spirit to control and influence all of our life. That's how those commands worked. And then we come to our passage, and what we get is, then if you notice in the reading, there are three pairs of commands, and there they are. And we're just going to unpack them uh, together this morning. But before we do, can you just have a look at chapter 5, verse 21? Because this is really the verse that comes at the beginning of our section. It it provides us with a foundation for all that's going to come. And we have to grasp verse 21 before we jump into looking at these relationships. Paul writes this. 
Submit to one another out of reverence to Christ. I guess what Paul is doing is he's been talking about what it looks like to be in relationship. One wonderful thing about the unity of the church, as we unpacked a few weeks ago, is that we're called to work in relationship with each other. We're, we're living in a relationship. And as you look around this room, we're all so different. So relationships aren't easy. And so Paul has to lay down a kind of foundation right at the beginning and say, get this right and your relationships will follow. And the foundation he lays is submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. What he's really saying is love and serve one another out of reverence for Christ. So he's saying, as a Christian, your primary relationship, your primary loyalty is your relationship with God. That's the reverence for Christ. And that then affects all of these relationships with each other. But we we often just think of relationships as the people around me. But Paul's trying to say it's my relationship with God that affects the way that I relate to other people. That's why this verse is absolutely crucial. And we've got to grasp all of its meaning. And you see lots of other examples of this verse. Submit to one another out of reverence to Christ. Just some examples in our passage this morning. Paul gives a load of commands and after them he caveats all of them with this kind of instruction. Just let you read some of those. See all the commands that he gives us are to be lived out in light of the first relationship that's of most importance to us. Which is our relationship with God. And this submission to each other is really crucial, particularly in this individualistic rights culture that we live in that's not healthy but easily infiltrates the church. See, there's a big difference, isn't there, in the church between having an opinion and being opinionated. There's a big difference between being an individual and being individualistic. Uh, And part of submitting to each other and serving one another in love is saying, it's not all about me. It's not about what I want. It's not about what is good for me. It's about what's good for us. And so it's really important in our relationships with each other that we seek to serve each other. Not pressing our rights all the time, but saying, actually, my relationship with God is first importance. And because of the way he has served us, I want to serve others in the way I relate to them. That's really key. So as we look at these three pairs, I just want you to remember that the way that you relate to other people should seek to honor God. And he becomes the driver for our relationships. Otherwise, we're just living as moralistic beings, just trying hard the whole time. That's why Paul writes verse 21. So let's have a look at some of these together. Here's our first pair of commands. Verse 22, wives submit. And verse 25, husbands love. Now, this first one probably causes a bit of trouble. Wives submit. The reason it causes trouble is because we take the word submit and all that we understand of it from our culture, and we import that into this and say, well, I don't really like that. But the problem is we need to seek to understand what Paul meant by submit, because it's very different to perhaps the way that our culture speaks. Is that the the view you have of this passage? I think it is for a lot of people. Probably partly because sometimes that's the way that husbands can behave towards women. And it's completely wrong. But when Paul commands women here to submit to their husbands, he's not speaking of this. That's not what he's on about. It's only a dirty word because we fail to understand what Paul is really getting at. Submission actually is a wonderful thing. It's actually a beautiful thing. Uh, You go to a passage like Philippians chapter 2, which speaks of Jesus Christ humbling himself and becoming obedient. That's a great example of what submission looks like. It's beautiful. 
Or Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane when he prays that prayer, yet not my will, but yours be done. Jesus Christ is submitting to his Father. That's not that kind of a submission. That's a submission of love in obedience. So really, I think what it means here where Paul is commanding women to submit to their husbands, verse 24, really that's talking about look to your husband to lead you. Look to his lead. Why? Verse 23 tells us because the husband is meant to be the spiritual head or leader of the relationship. Do you see there in verse 23? The husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. I think if you want a a bit more of an understanding of what that word submit means, look at verse 33 a little bit further on. It talks about respect. Part of what it means for a wife to submit to their husband is to respect them, to respect their lead, which we're going to come on to see should be loving and sacrificial. Now, submission to your husband's lead if you're a wife, that doesn't mean he has control of the TV remote. It doesn't mean he makes all the decisions. It doesn't mean you do exactly what he says all the time. What it's saying is look to his loving lead of you. But it's a challenge, isn't it? Because you see in verse 24, uh, it does say there, submit to your husbands in everything. And why does it say that? The, po- the point that Paul is trying to make is that this submission should be a willing submission. An openness saying, I want to submit to your lead. Because as we're going to see, I hope and pray your lead will be loving and for my benefit. John Stott, I think, puts it brilliantly. He says there's a big difference between unthinking obedience to his rule and grateful acceptance of his care. Do you see the difference? It's never right for a man to rule his wife. And it would never be right for her to have unthinking obedience towards him. But when he cares for her and loves her like we're about to see, she will want to gratefully accept that lead. It's a beautiful picture. So we need to redeem this word submit and not just import into it all that we understand from our culture because that would be to completely misunderstand all that Paul is speaking of. Remember verse 21 is the foundation for this command. Why should a wife submit to their husband? Because, as Paul is going to explain, the marriage relationship is meant to be pointing forward to a far greater relationship. The relationship between Christ and his church. And as the church is described as the bride and Christ as the head, the church submits to the leadership of Christ. And so when a wife submits to the loving lead of a husband, she's actually modeling the gospel. And suddenly submission becomes a beautiful thing. Now can I just say at this point, uh, I can't go into any depth at this now just because of time, but I'm, I know that there are some, even a good handful of women at the church who aren't married to Christian husbands and for whom that can become, be very, very difficult. And just to encourage you, and perhaps we could talk about this another time, in a similar passage in 1 Peter, Paul just wants to encourage you if you're in that situation. He says, wives in the same way submit yourselves to your own husbands, so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. I just say that to encourage you because this is a difficult command and obviously it comes loaded with all sorts of emotions that you go through perhaps if following the lead of your husband is particularly difficult if they're not themselves following Christ. But that's why verse 21 is key, because you don't just follow the lead of your husband because he's your husband. 
but because Christ is the head of the church. And that gives you a completely different motivation to want to follow his lead. That's really crucial. But guys, you haven't got off lightly because the other command comes. Husbands, love your wives. Uh, in the ancient culture, this was a pretty countercultural command for Paul to give to men. Because it was a culture where women were held in very low esteem. So this is pretty remarkable that Paul would say this. And in our culture, I think it's equally remarkable because women have become objectified in our culture. Uh, love has become sentimentalized in our culture. So for Paul to say to men, love your wives, that's a pretty robust command. Now just for you men, three, if you're married, three, three things to notice about what loving your wives looks like. First one is verse 25. To love your wives means to make sacrifices for her. Do you see that in verse 25? Love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. That means that the truly loving lead of a husband will be a sacrificial lead. Surrendering every day to what is best for your wife. That's hard. And yes, some days she won't deserve it. Some days you won't want to give that kind of a lead. But that's the command and that's the responsibility that God has given you as a Christian husband. Sacrifice is the first one. The second one is care. Do you see in verse 28? In the same way husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies... He who loves his wife loves himself. So just in the same way that you put care and attention into your own life and your own well-being, the command to you as a Christian husband is to care for your wife. You have to think through what that means, but I think one of the key things is gentleness. And as men, we often struggle with that. Care for your wife by being gentle with her and leading her in a loving way. The third thing is leadership. Women are to submit to your lead. Why? Because you're called to lead. And the big problem with men is often they don't lead. The big problem with men is often we're just passive. God calls us to lead. Do you notice in this verse, verse 26, your primary aim as you lead your wife should be to help her grow in godliness. That should be your number one aim for your wife. Before material provision, before anything else, helping her to grow to love the Lord Jesus more. Because that's the kindest and best thing you can be for her. It says there in verse 26, doesn't it? Husbands, you're loving your wives, just as Christ loved the church, to make her holy. To make her more like Christ. Now, you need to think through what that's going to mean. It could well mean providing emotional support. It certainly means learn to listen, don't fix the problems. We're rubbish at that as men. Uh, It could mean reorientating your priorities that actually work is not your number one priority, but loving your wife is. But the thing I really want to challenge you with is, do you, as the, the lead in the home, initiate times of reading the Bible together and praying with your wife? Even if it's frustrating, even if she doesn't always respond, because that's the most loving, godly lead that you can give your wife, is to encourage her to grow to love God more. Now, what's the foundation for this pair of commands? The husband and wife relationship is meant to be modeled on the relationship between Christ and his church. So just as the church that's described in the Bible as the bride of Christ submits to Christ's loving lead, verse 24, so the the husband 
is to lovingly lead his wife in the same way that Christ has lovingly led his church by giving himself up for her. It's a beautiful picture, isn't it? Where the two work together. I don't think one of the commands is more difficult than the other. Both really run counterintuitive to what we want to give often. But the command is there nonetheless. To love and to submit, to follow. Do you know, men, when you lovingly lead your wife like Christ has led his church, you will become more like Christ and you will be doing the best possible thing you can do for your wife and you'll help her to flourish. And when a woman willingly submits to the loving lead of her husband, she will become more like Christ and help him to flourish. It's a beautiful picture. And just because of the abuses of this and the mistakes we make doesn't mean that these commands are no longer valid. We need to work at how these commands become real in our life, not just chucking them away because we find them difficult. Can I say, if you're not married, one of the great gifts, as Neil mentioned in his prayer earlier, that you can be to married couples is to pray for married couples, that they would live out, we would live out these commands in a way that honors God. Submit to one another out of reverence to Christ. Okay, a lot of you teenagers are up there. You're thinking, that's not relevant to me. I'm not married. Maybe I want to be, but I'm not yet. I'm still 15. The next command is for you. Here we go. Do you ever feel, as a teenager, that what's been written on this bit of a textbook is true? I love my parents, but they don't really know me, and they don't understand me, and I don't think they ever will. Do you ever feel that, teenagers? Some of you are nodding. It can be hard being a teenager, it can be hard being a son, it can be hard being a daughter. But Paul's got a command for you, he's got an instruction to help you, because teenagers particularly, you can find your parents hard, and I know that, because I've been a teenager. What's the command to you as a teenager, as a child? Do you see in verse 2? Verse 1 of chapter 6, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honour your father and mother. Do you know, as a child or teenager, it's not always possible to agree with your parents. It's not always possible to respect them. Sometimes you don't agree with the way that they're trying to lead you. But I think this command about honouring your parents is about a dignity, giving them a dignity and your long-term loyalty. Because your parents do want what is best for you. And even if you can't see it in the moment, they're trying to lead you in a loving way. So here's a couple of suggestions for you, particularly teenagers, if you're nodding and saying, that's what I write on my textbook, every maths lesson when I'm not concentrating. I really struggle with my parents, okay? Here's a couple of things for you. Try and respect their desire to be your parents because parents are a great gift to you, even if you can't always see it. And second thing, learn to forgive your parents. Don't idolize them because your parents will not be perfect. They will make mistakes. And they'll feel those mistakes probably far more than you do. But remember, there's only one perfect Heavenly Father. And so sometimes if you've grown up without the perfect model of a parent, a mother or a father who loved you in the way that we're about to see, you know that Jesus Christ or God the Father has loved you perfectly. And that should give you a motivation to want to obey your parents. Do you see it says in verse uh, verse 1, Obey your parents in the Lord, because your obedience to your parents is a reflection of your greater obedience to God. Sometimes you won't feel like obeying them. But the reason that is given isn't because your parents are wonderful and they never make mistakes. The reason that's given is because they're your parents and it honours God 
when you honour them. What about adult children? I think it's interesting in this command that the focus here is on the relationship, it's not on age. And if you're an adult, you may still be a child. And I think being an adult child, in some ways, is actually harder. What does it mean to kind of honour and respect my parents when I'm independent? Uh, The relationship particularly changes once you're married. But there's still a command for us to think through, how can I continue to honour and respect my older parents? How can I involve them in my decisions? How can I involve them in my family's life? How do I not just cut them out of my life? And I think we have to think hard as adults about how this command still applies to us. But parents, the second command here in verse 4, do not exasperate your children. I guess there's nothing worse, and you may have been on the receiving end of this as a child yourself, there's nothing worse than a kind of domineering parent, particularly fathers, who kind of drive you too hard, who are perhaps a bit controlling, and it leads to you being embittered as a child. There can be nothing worse than a parent who's always putting pressure on their children to perform, always finding fault, often criticizing their child. So there's a challenge to parents. Don't embitter your child like that. Don't try and live your life through them now. Try and encourage them. Try and be a parent who says yes to your children as much as you can within the parameters that you establish in your family that's going to be good for their flourishing. But that's really important. But there's the sort of challenge to you as a parent. But do you see the really positive thing that comes in verse 4? Fathers, don't exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. What Paul is saying is the greatest single gift as a parent that you can give to your child is pointing them to God and encouraging them in their walk with him. Even if they're rejecting it, even if they go on to reject it, it is the greatest gift that you at least seek to do, to give them. That means that the primary responsibility for raising Christian children is not the church, but is Christian parents. Now, of course, sometimes children are raised in homes where they aren't Christian parents, and then the church rallies around and supports them in a slightly different way. But in an environment where you have got Christian parents, it's your responsibility primarily to raise Christian children. And the church is meant to support you in that. It's not about giving my child to the church and hoping they come out as a missionary the other end, because it doesn't often work like that. Can I just help you? If you say, do you know, I really think I've failed as a parent... Just remember that God is gracious with you. And if you sometimes think it has failed, the parenting thing has failed, they haven't come to faith in Christ, or they're continuing to not be obedient to me, or whatever it is that you think I've failed again, remember that God is sovereign. I'm not saying that flippantly because I know that these things cause great, great pain for parents. But do remind yourself every day he is gracious and he is sovereign. Because it's not your responsibility, ultimately, to bring your children to faith. Because none of us can change anyone's heart. We have a responsibility to teach and to nurture, and we have to trust God with everything else. And that's hard. We need to help each other and encourage each other with this. But it would be a great thing to pray for Christian parents. Pray for all parents in this church, that we would nurture the children in our care in a way that honors God. But again, what's the foundation for this set of commands to parents and to children? It's that this relationship is meant to be modelled on the relationship that God has given us, a loving father and an obedient son. And just finally, slaves and masters. 
I guess in the ancient world, the slave-master relationship is reflected today in the kind of um, worker-boss relationship. So I'll talk in those terms because we won't really understand slave and master. Do you notice what it says for workers, slaves here in verse 5? Obey your earthly masters with respect and fear. It's talking about a sort of sincerity in the way that we work. I'm not saying just, this doesn't refer just to people who are paid to do their jobs. It's all work. But when we work for someone, are we showing a kind of integrity that God would want? Uh, A cleaner was once asked, what difference has it made to you coming to Christ as a cleaner? And do you know how she responded? I now sweep under the carpets. It's lovely, isn't it? No one sees that she sweeps under the carpets. No one really cares. But the point is, she knows she's not simply just working for her boss. She's working for God. And when God sees the hard work she puts in, he smiles. So what difference would it make to you in your workplace if you're thinking about serving the Lord, which it says in verse 7, serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord? How would that make a difference to the way that you work? Would you work any differently when your boss is in the office and when he's on holiday? Would you work any harder when you've had a pay rise and work grudgingly and not so hard when your boss annoys you? Would you be the person who doesn't just add your mug to the stack of mugs in the sink at work, but just cleans up to serve other people? Not necessarily even when people are going to thank you, not when they're going to notice, but because you know you're serving the Lord. Do you see how this relationship with God becomes a complete pillar and foundation for all these relationships? Because my motivation for wanting to do this is my relationship with God. But look at the boss. In the same way, verse 9... Masters, treat your slaves in the same way. I guess that's saying that if you're a boss, if you're responsible for employees under you, you need to treat them with integrity in the same way that you would be expected to. And I think it's very interesting how in verse 9, Paul says, as a boss, do not threaten your workers. That means, how can you use your influence and your seniority to serve those who work with you? Not just to use them. Can you imagine if you had a boss who sought to serve you, not just use you? Now, if you're a, a boss in responsibility, you need to perhaps think through the implications of this for pay, uh, for working conditions. But I just challenge you, if you're a boss and you have people working under you, think about how can I serve them through my leadership of them? It would totally transform the way that your company was run if you did that. And what's the foundation for this command? wholehearted service and servant-hearted leadership right we're finished now just have a look though here are three sets of commands but notice the foundation is what really matters because these are just examples but paul says the foundation in the marriage should be a willing submission and a loving lead because that is how christ has led his church in the parent-child relationship the foundation is the obedient son and the loving father And in the slave-master relationship, it's this idea of servant-hearted leadership and wholehearted service. These instructions are completely countercultural, but they reflect the character of God. And if we begin to live out these things in response to all that Christ has done for us and given us, then this church and our world would look completely different, wouldn't it? As we come to a close, just notice how we finished last week. Be filled with the Spirit. 
Ask that God's spirit would be a work in you, alive in you, to influence all of your life. Walk in unity. Last week, walk in purity. Why those two things? Because we need to be united in our relationships, and we need to be pure in the way that we conduct our relationships. So it's not a surprise that all of these instructions about relationships comes after that key verse last week. Be filled with the Spirit. We won't be able to do this without the grace of God. We need to keep looking to the cross and thank Christ for all that he has given us and allow that to be the foundation from which we then serve one another. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Let's pray together.